What was I going to say? <laughs> Good morning. My name is Sims. I'm one of the pastors here at Broadway. Um, just a quick reminder for our youth. Um, out of, yeah, I know Ryan did ex- explain this, but I want to encourage you to be there tonight. We're going to have a great time. Um, Matt Edward is going to be sharing his story with us. Um, and as he would do it the best way he does with song. And I'm so excited to uh, finish our, to finish the year with that in mind. So um, if you have the opportunity to be there tonight, please be there uh, for the youth. That would be amazing. You have a All right, and secondly, I uh, would ask us to stand for the reading of Scripture. And Sawyer has come and, will come and read for us. First Corinthians nine twenty four through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run their very best to win, but only one receives the prize? Run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do not win a crown that withers, but they do it to win a crown that withers, but we do do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing. But like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for the service. Titus eleven through twelve. Titus two eleven through twelve. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. First Peter four seven. The end and culmination of all things is near. Therefore, be sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer, staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to him. Hear the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that never changes. We pray that your word would be um, will be life to me and to those who hear me. I pray today that your word will have the same effect to me and those that are hearing it. We pray that um, you would speak to us through your spirit this morning. And I pray that our hearts will be open to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are talking about self-control. The last time, two weeks ago, when I was up here, we were talking about meekness. Somebody was listening. So this week we are moving on to self-control. And um, last week Pastor Ryan spoke about, starts with an F. Oh yeah, we're getting there. Um, And I, I pray that as we speak about the fruit of the Spirit, each and every one of us goes home each week with something that God has imparted in our hearts that we either need to walk into or need to practice 
or things that we need to ponder on and think about in a different way than we used to. And our emphasis the whole time has been that the fruit of the Spirit is not out of our effort, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Sims. It's not the fruit of Stacy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit. And today we're looking at um, one of the most difficult fruits. This is me speaking now. It's hard for me. Self-control. A clear example of my struggles with self-control is this. <laughs> Doesn't it look big? Oh, yeah. <laughs> self-control. And this is a clear example. I've said to myself, I want to lose weight. Um, I remember um, there was a time where I was very serious and I joined um, a Janice group of exercising. And, oh, uh, yeah. You know what happened. <laughs> so I'm not talking about something that I'm perfect in. I'm talking about something that I'm walking in, that I'm struggling in. And I know all of us are struggling in one way or the other. Our temptations are different. For some people, uh, actually, they need to have self-control to stop themselves from going to the gym. I wish I was one of those people, but I'm not. <laughs> but yeah. So we're going to walk together as a family in what we're struggling with, in what we are growing in grace in. And there is grace and there is growth, and that happens as we move together as a family. I'll start with definitions of things. I love finding out what it means before I go into detail of anything. So the word that is used um, for self-control is inkrateia. That's a Greek word, inkrateia. It comes from three different words. N for, for the inkrateia, in, um, speaks of being in, within. And then kratos speaks of dominion. It speaks of mastery. It speaks of the power to rule. And then krat is a stem word where this whole word comes from. And that word krat speaks of the power of lordship. And so in total, when looking at these, these legal words that make up this big word in Kratea, I think it means dominion within, dominion on the inside. And that's what self-control is, is us having dominion on the, inside, on the, on the inside within us. Jesus, uh, when, when the earth was created, God said to Adam and Eve, go and have dominion. Well, he meant, yes, the, uh, the fish and everything that crawls on the earth and everything that walks on the earth, including himself. We are to have dominion in certain ways within, and it's almost impossible to do it without Jesus. And we're going to look at that today. So this word speaks of us mastering our desires. This word speaks of us mastering our impulses that we have. It doesn't speak of a specific impulse. For example, the other, 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 other versions use the word temperance, and the word temperance usually in our context speaks of uh, being temperate, not being angry um, quickly, being temperate, being pulled back, being restrained in your emotions. But the word self-control is more bold than that because it speaks of even your eating habits. It speaks of even your sleeping habits. 
It speaks of the movies that you watch. It speaks of whatever that you desire, the impulses that you have that usually hold you. And so I love using the word, the word self-control because it's, it speaks of restraining all areas and appetites and passions that we have. In the Old Testament, in Proverbs, we find a scripture that speaks of what a man or a woman who does not have self-control look like. I want us to go through this. Um, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Take it from the Amplified. It says, like a city that is broken down without walls, leaving it unprotected, is a man who has no self-control over his spirit, and he sets himself for trouble. There is a picture that's painted here, and I like the way that the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible puts it, and I thought I would just put it up there for you guys to read this with me. I, I thought it was an amazing picture. He says, the picture there is that of a city whose walls have been so nearly destroyed as to be without defense against any enemy. So is the man who has no restraint over his spirit. Speaking about his spirit, he says, I saw the man who does not restrain over his spirit, the source of man's passionate energies. He has no defense against anger, lust, and other unbriggled emotions that destroy the personality. As, as, as I read this, it made me think, okay, so if it's like a city that does not have walls, that means they're free for all. A man or a woman who does not have self-control is a free-for-all. Everything is fine. Everything is okay. I can do whatever. Um, where does that take us in our walk with the Lord? How does, that, how does that help us in our walk as well with one another? Imagine if you were in a marriage with somebody who is not self-controlled at all, who does whatever they want, whenever they want, and says whatever comes to their mind, whenever they want it. Will that marriage last? Or will that relationship last? No, you butt heads the whole time. If both of you are not self-controlled and you do whatever you want, that means the covenant of marriage as well is not a covenant at all because you've got a right to go and do whatever you want and come back whenever you want. and It, 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 it won't work out. So we, we are called as believers to live a life that is self-controlled, that is a life that has got boundaries. It's not legalism. We have boundaries. I was speaking to uh, friends of mine yesterday, and we're talking about legalism and grace. And, and grace does not mean that we have no boundaries. We'll read a scripture later that tells us that the grace of God has come and has taught us to say no to ungodliness. So I'm not, uh, from the onset, I want you to realize I'm not saying that we should be legalistic and be in boxes. But I'm saying to us that we have, we have a responsibility of this grace that was purchased with a high price. It cost Jesus his life. It's not cheap grace. So there is self-control in that. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, and then the other thing that I, I realized that this idea of holding oneself or the ability to take a grip of oneself for a believer is only possible when we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why it is 
part of the fruits of the Spirit. You cannot live a life that is self-controlled without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can try all you want until you're blue in the face. It's not going to happen. And maybe when you're blue in the face, you'll be dying. But <laughs> and the whole thing is you've tried all your life and it doesn't happen. It's because of the power of the indwelling power of that Holy Spirit that gives us and pros- propels us to live lives that are self-controlled. Self-control speaks of habits. Sorry, I did not set my alarm because I think I'm going to go forever if I don't. And you won't be very happy with me. Self, this is part of self-control. Self-control, <laughs> self-control speaks of habits. Self-control has to do with our daily habits. What is a habit? Simply put, a habit, a habit is a circled or regular tendency or practice Um, especially one that is hard to give up. It could be a practice, it could be a thought pattern, it could be whatever, but when we we have a habit, it's a tendency that we have that goes on and on. It goes on, it's something that we automatically fall into without thinking. So when we talk about self-control, it has to do with our habits because that's where we fall the most. And our habits are different. And our impulses are different in different things. So when we talk about self-control, we talk about disciplining ourselves to delay the impulse of gratification for a greater purpose or a greater cause. When we exercise self-control, we are saying no for the sake of a bigger picture and a bigger yes. We are trading something here and now for something greater in the future. When I shared this with Ryan, he gave me a quotation. So this is my first Ryan quotation. (laughs) I didn't put it up, um, but I've got a Ryan quotation here. He said to me when we're talking about the whole idea of that, it's, it's saying no to this now so we can say yes to the bigger in the future. (laughs) Well, I haven't started, Ryan. Hold on. (laughs) So Ryan said, in in the talk with me, I'm not putting it word for word, but this was really amazing for me. That's why I didn't put it up, because I don't have it word for word. I said to him, stop, say it again, and he couldn't say it again. (laughs) So he said something like this. He says, we as believers, you are not going to miss out on anything good as a believer. Whatever it is that you're facing now, that your impulses are missing and that you're being self-controlled on. You are not missing anything and you're not going to miss anything because you'll be fulfilled more when you get home, more than what you missed here. Whatever looks like you're missing here, you'll be fulfilled when you get home. This is not our home. We are passerbys. And in our journey, we are not to camp here and put everything here. This is a place that we are passing through. And when we get to eternity, we will be fulfilled more than whatever we've ever lacked here. So do not worry that you're missing out. God is not withholding things from you. He's not withholding fun from you. There are some times, and he gave an example as well, of that there are times where we tell our kids, um, well, you need to eat your vegetables. You need to eat this and that. And they're like, no, I want the candy. But they can have the candy and it's nice for that moment. But afterwards, the tummy starts to hurt. 
because that was not what they were supposed to fill in on. So as we become thirsty for certain things that our impulses draw us to, we need to be careful that we don't fill ourselves with junk such that the tummy hurts, the spiritual tummy hurts. And there is no growth in that. So sometimes we need to learn to move away from certain things to fulfill a greater purpose. Amen. So how does this work? That was good, hey? We've got a great pastor. I love him. Um, Galatians 5, 22 to 26, which is our main scripture for this series. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Reminds me of a kid's church song. The fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. <laughs> I love that. So, and then it goes on and says, against such things there is no law. All those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become considered provoking one another, envying one another. What I want to pick up there from that scripture is how it works. The first thing is that the Spirit creates the miracle. He's the one who, who creates this miracle of us being self-controlled. It's a miracle for us to be self-controlled. We are humans. Well, maybe I'm talking for me. It's a miracle for me to be self-controlled. The other day, we, I think it was three Sundays ago, four Sundays ago, um, we went to a Mexican restaurant after church, and we sat there, and we had our food. Before we had our food, the lady came, the nice lady came and said, so what can I get you to drink? And my favorite Mexican drink is the orange jaritos. I'm like, I even know how to pronounce it now with my South African accent. I'm like, orange jaritos. He brings it over. I drink it. We have our food later. And then he comes back and he says to me, some more orange jaritos, sir. And I was almost three quarters done of that one. And I knew in my heart I should say no. But my lack of self-control, therefore, <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, bring one more. And as soon as she brought it and put it on the table, I was like, this is bad news. <laughs> I could not finish it in the restaurant. I eventually took it in the car. I could not finish it in the car. I eventually finished it at home. <laughs> that, that, that was the extent of lack of self-control. So it's a miracle for us to be self-controlled. So the spirit creates that miracle. Paul uses this term, and when he uses it, he, he's, he's not talking about human achievement. He's not talking about the things that we achieve by our human strength. He's speaking about a supernatural byproduct of responding by faith to the grace of God. When we walk in self-control, we are walking in response to God's grace by faith. And then we are walking by the Spirit and led by the Spirit of God. It's not our own. Nobody is born with self-control. Oh, I've got a three-month-old. That boy, my wife was actually saying to me yesterday, I think we feed him more than he should. Because he would tell the whole bottle and afterwards he would spit it all out. And like, he's wasting our money. But he, for him, 
It's like, oh, there's a bottle. I should have it. I should eat it. So that's, we, we, are, we are not born with self-control. We learn self-control. And the Spirit of God helps us more when we become believers in walking in that self-control. If you expect an unbeliever to walk in self-control, it's like taking a picture of Mr. Universe. Take a picture of Mr. Universe, put it here, and say to me, well, in a week's time, Sims, you need to look like this. It's impossible. It's impossible. In a week's time, I can never look like that. That's years and years of work for him to be Mr. Universe. So when we take an unbeliever and we expect them to live in self-control, we haven't started yet because it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is something that comes from the Spirit. Christians are called to exercise the, um, that fruit of the Spirit and crash here. We are called to exercise that, but we cannot manufacture it. We cannot manufacture authentic self-control. As much as we cannot manufacture the love of God, the agape love of God, it is given to us. It is, we experience it as we experience the Spirit of God. We live it out as the Spirit of God lives through us. We live it out as the Son of God shines through us. Then we are able to live in self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The second thing that we look at, the first thing I said on how it works is that it's a miracle. The second thing is that we need, we saw that in that scripture in Galatians, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. For us to live self-controlled life, we need to keep in step. For us to produce any of the fruits of the Spirit, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. What does this mean? There's a writer that puts it this way that I really like. Um, Christopher J.H. Wright says, self-control does involve the effort of the will. Sorry, self-control does involve the effort of the will, but it is an effort of the will. But as an effort of the will, but it is an effort inspired and empowered by the Spirit of God as His will bears fruit to our own. It's saying no to our own will and saying yes to a greater will. When we say no to our own will, we are able to say yes to a greater will. When we walk in the Spirit, we are empowered to say no and to say yes at the right time. In order to develop self-control, we must be honest with ourselves. How we keep in in, in step with the Spirit is being honest with ourselves. Each one of us is different. We have different impulses. You can take um, a huge, big big jar of vodka and put it here in front of me. For me, it does nothing. I'm not tempted to, to get drunk and... And, and, and be, yeah, and I'm not saying that as you drink your alcohol, you're in sin, but I'm saying when you get drunk, you're in sin, and I'm not tempted to, with that. You can take a heap of drugs and put them here. I'm not tempted with that. But if you take a heap of carrot cake <laughs> and pull it here, that's different. So we all have different impulses. That's totally different for me. Then I will be a glutton, and my wife knows of that. And uh, it's something that I need to watch myself and keep in step. What does it mean then to keep in step with the Spirit? We find this in number three. 
Number three is our minds are to be bound by the word of God. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worth of praise, think about these things. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to the standard of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the good and perfect will of God. And if you look at these two scriptures and compare them to Romans 10, 17, that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, we realize that the word of God changes us. The more we store the word of God in us, then we know the mind of God. How do you know the mind of the spirit is knowing what is in the book. Don't just carry your Bible. Don't just have it at home. It's something for you to work on, systematically put the word of God in your heart. When... One of the Psalms says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. When we hide his word in our hearts, not just when we cram it, but when we hide it, when we memorize it, when we keep it in our hearts, and not just only keep it out, but when we leave it from our hearts, then we walk in self, then we will know what the mind of Christ is and will be able to walk in self-control. For us to know what the mind of the Spirit is, it starts with us hiding God's word in our hearts. There's a saying that I really like. It says, watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Watch your words, for they become your actions. Watch your actions, for they become your habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. This is a progression. It starts in small things and it grows. It starts in our thoughts. You can never stop thoughts from coming into your mind. I've always said to the youth boys when we talk about this kind of thing, I've always said to them, listen, young men, you can never stop the thoughts. It's like you can never stop the birds from flying over your head, but you stop them from making a nest on your head. So when the thoughts come, how, how, do, you, how do you deal with it? The scripture tells us, that when the thoughts come, we are to put down every other argument. And how do we do that? By replacing them with what we have stored in here, which is the word. When you have stored the word in here, it will counter the thoughts and they won't be able to stay and make a home in here. So in saying that, I want you to realize that it's our thoughts that become our words. We think it, we say it, then we do it. And then it becomes a normal thing. And then it becomes part of our character. It's ingrained in our character. And then it becomes our destiny. That's who we become. So it starts here. Watch it here. Self-control as well starts here. Watch it here. Before it comes into action. So it's very important that we watch the things that we take in that brings that. So it's a little by little process of small decisions, small good decisions that we make are going to make this easier. Small bad decisions that we make are going to make this harder. So it's small decisions like saying no to the second haritos when I need to say no. The examples of those things that you can think of, we need to learn to say, to systematically say no to the right things and yes to the right things at the right time. Joseph is a good example. 
Joseph resolved in his private. Let me say this first. You can never be able to be self-controlled in the heat of the moment if you have not resolved in privacy that this is not what you're going to do. I've always said to the young people that are dating, great, hallelujah, that you're dating, but your, de- your decision behind the doors before you even meet this guy or this girl who's pressuring you to do this, the decision and the resolve that you've made there is what is going to help you here when you're in the heat of the moment. And this guy or this girl says, let's do this, and you're like, nah, I don't do that. You have made a decision before. When you have not made that decision before, when you get in here, guess what you're going to do? You'll be like David, David and Bathsheba. You'll dive in and it doesn't end well. So in the whole thing, we need to realize, and as we look at examples, we see Joseph. Joseph had made decisions in his life. Throughout his life, he has made small decisions. And then he comes to a point where his Potiphar's wife says, lie with me. And Joseph says, no. But there's one that I had never realized in that scripture. There's a part where it says Joseph refused, refused to lie with Potiphar's wife. That's amazing, great. But it goes on and says, and he even refused to be with her. Meaning in the vicinity of where she is, Joseph would flee because he had made a decision. Unlike David, when all other kings had gone to war as what is supposed to be, He was lazing around and taking it easy. And then he saw Sister B. And Sister B was bathing at the top. And David is like, oh, hmm. And it led to his, most of his miseries came from that. So we need to realize that when we systematically learn to say no at the right time and learn to say yes at the right time, we are walking in self-control. It starts with small things. It doesn't start with the big things. It starts with the small things. We need to watch out um, for, for always giving in to our habits. Small habits. Daniel. Daniel, we know the story of Daniel. And we love that story. But we don't realize that Daniel's progression starts with him saying no to the food that is given at the table. And then it goes on to him saying no to bowing down to this idol. It moves on to them saying no to and not being able to pray and getting to the point where the Bible says, as he used to do, he knelt down, opened his windows, and he prayed. And it all had started from small portions getting to big. I'm giving you examples here of people in the Bible that we can follow examples of. The small decisions that we make have an impact on the big decisions that we make. So him learning to say no from small things, he continued to be able to say no. The other example is Abraham in the sacrifice of Isaac. And this teaches us not to follow, not to follow our feelings and our impulses in self-control. When you start to follow your feelings and impulses, follow, feelings are very flaky, they change. I might feel happy now, I'll feel sad in five minutes. I might feel this, i feel that tomorrow. They change, they are not steadfast. And if we follow those, then we'll be flaky people with no self-control at all. Imagine if, the, if, if Abraham had walked 
with feelings going to sacrifice his son? Would he have done it? I don't know if a father who would, in his right sense, who would take his son to go and sacrifice him, feeling great about it and doing it willingly. But he pulls away his feelings and his impulses and he follows what God had for him. And that was counted for him as righteousness. He walked in self-control. Paul says to Timothy, flee. Do not, do not walk away. Flee from temptation. He doesn't say to him, do, do not crawl away. Flee, run. If it means leaving your coat like Joseph, do it. 2 Timothy 2, 24, it says, flee the youthful lust and pursue righteousness. We need to be at a point where we realize that self-control involves us fleeing from things. We make the decision to leave, to run. And then one thing that I want to say in that, in that context as well is when you fail, don't let the devil tell you that you are a failure. Because there's a difference between a failure and failing. When you walk, you say, I'm, I'm making a decision on this, and you walk and you trip and you fall. Do not hit yourself over the head about it and never try again. Failure will be not trying again. We all fail. We are human. For men who have dealt with sexual issues like me, for men who have dealt with, um, with pornography, you, 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 you say, oh, this is it, I'm done. And you look at that computer or whatever and say, no, never again in the name of Jesus. And I will not look at this again. Three days after, you are back in that. And you're like, oh. But, and then as time goes on, for me in my life, as time went on, as I progressed with Pastor Harold sitting on me and being my accountability partner and asking me all the time questions that are very uncomfortable and watching what I'm looking at and um, looking at my computer, looking at my phone. But all that, all those small decisions helped me to get to a place where there is freedom. I made small decisions that led me to a place where I walk in freedom. It doesn't mean that the thoughts don't come. They do come. But then I ask myself, this is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not, I, it was bought with a prize. I don't, have the, I don't have the right to make that decision to look at that thing. So what I'm saying is, it's the small decisions that we make. And when we, when we fall, if I had fallen at the time and I'd say, Pastor Harold, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not working for me. Ah, Pastor Gift, I can't do this, my friend. It's really hard. I can't do it. I would not have found victory in the area where I found victory. Same thing with you and me in small things. When we find that when we find that we fall in a certain area, it doesn't mean it's the end of it all. You can pick up, start again. Imagine if you had a child and your baby was starting to walk, and the first day they went da da, and you're like, yeah, they're taking five steps, and boom, they fall down. And then you say to them, my child, sit down, never stand up again. You'll get hurt, never stand up. And each time you see them stand up, you put them down. This child will be lame. They won't be able to walk. 
But when they fall down, you encourage them, you pick them up. Oh, sweetie, you're doing so great, and you put them back on their feet again. How do you teach a kid to ride the bike? They fall down and they scratch. I've got scratches on my knees up to today from the bike when I was a kid. And, and those things, when I look at them now, I'm like, I conquered that and I could ride a bike. So we, we need to realize that when we fall, God is waiting for us to will to him so he can help us up and help us to move on. We don't stay down where we've fallen. So when you're dealing with self-control and you're finding yourself falling in certain areas, do not stay there and weep and cry. It's not going to help you in any way. It's going to actually push you back from where you need to get to. Get up. Dust yourself. Move on. The journey is long. And he's there to walk with you. Amen. Guidelines for self-control. This is the last thing I'm going to speak about. A few practical things to consider when we speak of self-control. Number one is the renewal of our minds through God's word. Romans 12.2 tells us that we should not be conformed to the standard of the world, but be renewed in our minds. Use God's word as a mirror to wash you, to show you what's happening. Use it, sorry, as a mirror to look at and use it as water to wash you. That changes your mind, that changes, that reforms and changes certain things. You then start to discern what the will of God is for you. The more your mind is renewed by his word, the more you are able to discern his will, the more you are empowered to walk in his will. Number two, pray for the Holy Spirit's help. There is no way you can do it by yourself. There is no way I can do it by myself. Absolutely no way. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who brings out the fruit in us. Number three, confess your pitfalls and habits to God and to others. Learn to have people that you can talk to and also do talk to God. It says confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual faith and prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Confess your faults one to another. When we walk in the light where there is nothing hidden, it's easier for us to walk in a straight way than when we walk in the darkness where stuff is hidden. It's easy for us to hit the bench as we go and get hurt. Healing comes when we expose the sickness. If you hide your cancer, you'll never be healed. You'll die of it. But if you expose your cancer to the doctor and say, hey, I've, this is what is happening and they help you, you've got a chance of getting healed. And in our walk as believers, the more we open up those dark areas and dark corners and shine the light of Christ into them, to our brothers and sisters, it's not everybody that you share everything with, but find at least one or two people, at least one person, that you can share your lives with one another. You can confess to them and say, brother or sister, uh, let me say brother or brother, sister and sister, do not do it the other way. <laughs> so we, we have somebody that you can talk to and say, this is where I've fallen. Help me, brother, I've fallen here. 
And, and, and in that way, we grow in self-control because we've got people around us that are walking with us, but also we've got Christ to confess to. When we confess to one another, we're at a point where we've got nothing hidden, and then the other brother stands in the stead of Christ to forgive us. And we walk in that assurance of forgiveness. And when we confess to God, he says, confess, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Try it. I promise you. It's so liberating. I've got a brother uh, recently. I had a brother that I was, uh, was my confessor in South Africa. Recently, I got a brother here that I confessed to. It is so relieving after I've spoken to him and I've told him things that I've been shaking to talk about. And he says to me, brother, you're forgiven. God forgives you. When you confess our sins, if you confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. It gives me a new lift to say, hey, I can do this. Try it. Try it for yourself. You'll find out. And it helps with self-control. Number four is identify and remove your traps and triggers. Ephesians 4, 24 speaks about putting off our old self and putting on our new self, which is in the likeness of Christ. If you have a problem with carrot cake, do not walk every day to the bakery where carrot cake is and glance at it and say, I'm practicing self-control by looking at the carrot cake. Remove every trigger that tricks you to that. Take away things that take you back to your old bad habit. These are practical things that you do to help you. Identify them as well. Know what kind of things you're struggling with. You can't fight if you don't know who you're fighting and what you're fighting. And then the last one is remember God's grace and his good news when you fall. His grace is sufficient. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And then as well, remember the good news. The good news is that we were not worth it, but he came down and he died. And he made us worth receiving his forgiveness. It's all through him. It's all by him. If I fall, if things don't go well and I don't keep myself self-controlled, he is there to help me. He loves me enough to pick me up when I fall. As much as he loved me enough to pick me up from my debt of sin and lead me and make me who I am in him. We are called to a life of self-control with him walking beside us. And he walks beside me. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. You are his own. As a child of God, when you are struggling in your self-control, remember, you are not your own. You are his own. And he loves you. And he will make a way where there seems to be no way. That's the God that we serve. If you didn't get anything from this sermon today, these are three things that I want you to remember. If you didn't remember anything, wake up now. It's time to wake up. These are the three things that I need you to remember. Number one is that self-control is the discipline of delaying our impulses or gratification for a greater purpose. We delay them for a greater purpose. 
And number two is that the ultimate goal for practicing self-control is to choose Christ over choosing the world. And the last thing that I want you to remember from this sermon is that the power to overcome temptation and the practice of self-control comes from the Spirit of God. It does not come from our effort as humans, but directly from His Spirit. In that attitude of prayer before we pray, I would like to say there's somebody who might be saying in their heart, yeah, I, I hear about this self-control, and I would like to live this life of self-control, but I don't know if I can, I, I, I cannot do it. And the reason why sometimes you cannot do it at all is because you need to check, have you made a relationship with Jesus? Are you at a place where you have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you made that decision of trusting in him, of entrusting your life, of entrusting your decisions to him? And if you are here today and you have not gotten that opportunity to do that, I would invite you, the elders will come and pray for you if needs be. I will invite you during the time when we sing, come and kneel here on this side of the altar. One of the elders will come and lead you to the Lord gladly. That's the first step you take in keeping in step with his spirit. When you make that decision, he starts to walk with you and make it easier for you to make the next decisions. And for us as the church, as we sing the next song, I want us to realize he's here. There are times where we've fallen. He's here and he loves that. He loves us despite of ourselves. When we've fallen in self-control, he says, I have control. Just give me the keys of that life. I have control. And he will never, ever let you down. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. That your spirit produces self-control in us. Your spirit produces the fruit. I thank you that we do not have to struggle to produce the fruit, but you produce it in us as we keep in step with your spirit. I pray that you'd help us to be wise, to walk in wisdom in what we do, in what we think. Help us to be wise. Teach us, give us the hunger for your word that we will be able to sit and ingest in your word and be soaked up with your word and hide it in our hearts so we will not sin against you. Help us as a church. Help us as individuals. We thank you that we can fully trust in you. In Jesus' name.